Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that good ministry today. Ah, thank you for uh, being here today. I know it's going to be hard for you to stay awake. Most of you have gained 10 pounds this week, uh, probably. No, I haven't. I gained eight. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I didn't weigh, so I don't know how much I gained. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 4. And after you locate that, turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, those two places. Proverbs chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. Excuse me, I'm sorry. We'll look in God's Word in in just a few moments. Proverbs 4 and Mark chapter 1. Most of you know that I I enjoy reading. Even when I was a little boy, my mom always had books around me. And part of that is because she had books around her. And one genre of book that I always uh, have in uh, stacks of books that I have around me in various uh, places that I have in my home is that uh, a biography, I almost always am reading a biography. Uh, I love history, love to study history. But the other reason I read biographies is to um, gain some principles from uh, great men, women, and leaders and learn things from their lives. Uh, Most of them are positive things. Sometimes there's negative things that you can find. And then uh, in the matter of Christian ministries and Christian leaders and so forth, I'm also looking for uh, seeds of destruction is perhaps a good way to express it in their personal lives and ministries early on uh, that kind of led to a pathway. You know, things don't just happen. But why did they become that way in their personal life? Why did their ministry end up? That way, and when you read a biography uh, of their life, then uh, you can kind of discover that. <clears throat> I think I was talking to Theron uh, recently. If it not him, it was uh, another friend about this. That um, how that uh, sometimes when uh, when your friend writes your biography, uh, it's a little bit tainted, not by the bad, but by the good. And I said, you know, no one will ever write my biography. But if they do, I hope it's a friend. And it will just be all good. And, and, you know, but boy, when uh, someone delves in there and they go in and they give an honest appraisal, as the Word of God does, of that to the people there, then you you can gain some understanding about life and about leadership and just about the way we ought to live. Now, these, uh, these people, uh, most of them have passed away, not all of them. I'm reading one right now <clears throat> about a Christian leader, a pastor, a very well-known pastor that's alive. He's in his 80s now, has uh, led a very interesting and fruitful life. And then another uh, that's in my pile there that will go next uh, about a Chinese Christian leader, Watchman Nee. Uh, who uh, passed away in the early 1900s. And, uh, and I'll read that next. Uh, but they have become my mentors. And most biographies I read uh, of these people are passed away. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, it says, He being dead, yet speaketh. And I want to encourage you that you will do that, uh, certainly of, of people in the Bible, 
to read their biographies, but also become a reader of people's lives. And not just for entertainment purposes, but to, to, to study them uh, and to learn about them. Now, this is, has biblical precedent for us. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, notice this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, Look at this. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Do you see this? That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now this is speaking of biblical stories and biblical history, especially in the Old Testament. But it applies to other areas as well. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. I want to ask you a question. What are you learning? Well, you have to be reading, you have to be paying attention to be learning. And in a very similar scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, the Bible says, Now all these things happened unto them. The them is the people of Israel. Uh, And uh, boy, he puts a list there, and it's a negative list in the wilderness. All these things happened unto the nation of Israel. For in samples or examples... And they, watch this, and they are written for our admonition. Now, sometimes they're good examples, sometimes they're bad. Usually it's a mixture of both. But they're written for our admonition. The word admonition there means to exhort in order to learn, and sometimes by warning. They're written to admonish us. Uh, We admonish while we preach. We admonish in counseling. But we're also admonished, the Bible here says, as we read and we learn from people. Now, listen, it's a mistake to fail to learn from the mistakes of others. You know, the best teacher is not experience. That is a great teacher. The best teacher is obedience. The best teacher is not experience. The best teacher is obedience. Now, experience is a great teacher. But why not learn from the experiences of others, good and bad? But here's what happens if you're, if you're not paying attention, if you're not reading, if you're not observing. Not only are you failing to learn from other people, but when you make these mistakes in your own life again and again and again, it, it digs a groove in your life. You get in your 20s and you're in your 30s and these habits are there, and by then you know they're there, and they could have been avoided or at least addressed, but because of your failure to, to pay attention and just to fulfill Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, in the Word of God, and I believe also in, in biographies, and just paying attention. Watch Mani, again, the, uh, the famous uh, Chinese Christian leader, he, he made a statement that I heard early in my Christian life that really, really helped me. Here's what he said. He said, no Bible, no breakfast. You've heard me quote that from this pulpit. He's the one that said that. No Bible, no breakfast. Very simple, but it helped me. And I realized, you know, if I can feed my tummy, I can feed my soul. Which is most important? Well, he was saying your soul is more important than your physical need. And that's, again, based on biblical principle in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 when Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Most of us live by our physical appetites and our physical needs, and we do not address our spiritual needs. 
And that, that little quote, some of you may have written it down from the times that I have quote, quoted it, but I got it from Watchman Nee. Just reading and, and listening and learning. No Bible, no breakfast. But it wasn't a clever statement to me. It became a conviction. It was something that grabbed a hold of me. It became a priority in my life. So here we are on December the 26th, the last uh, Sunday of 2021, on the precipice of a new year. And I want to bring an appropriate message, and I, God willing, will we'll finish this part of the message up. I'm going to bring the first half this morning, next week, on a topic that I've been talking about for a while. I kind of took a break during Christmas. And I want to talk to you this morning with kind of a, a special application for the new year on how to cultivate wisdom. How to cultivate wisdom. Now, when I uh, talked to you about this some before uh, in the early winter, I, I made this statement that this is when I talked about how to grow in wisdom. This is a little bit different, cultivating wisdom. Um, this is one of the most important lessons you'll ever learn. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is, is there, it's a rhetorical question, the answer is yes. Is there an action you can take? Is there something that you can do in your life on a daily basis where you can discover the source of wisdom and then activating that source, become wise and then grow in wisdom for the rest of your life? Is there? Well, yes, there is. And the Bible has given us that source. It's a very simple activity. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I want you to listen carefully. Many of you will not do this activity. And it's not because it's hard. And some of you are, are doing this, but you're not doing this daily. And you're not doing it consistently. And I don't want to go into the reasons why. But your thinking and my thinking is not adequate. We're not going to get through this life on, well, how do, you have a, how do you have a great marriage? How do you rear kids? What is true success? You know, one of the most fundamental definitions in your life is defining success. Most people have never done that. And they let the world define success for them. Most people, most parents teach their kids that success is getting a good job and making a lot of money. That's a terrible definition. Now, it's not wrong to have a good job and make a lot of money, but that's not success. Until you have understood that success is always hooked up with design and purpose, then you're going to flounder, and your kids are going to flounder, and your church is going to flounder, then success is going to always be fluid. It's always going to change according to how that you feel. So without wisdom, my, my decisions are bad. They begin to accumulate. The consequences begin to accumulate. And, and these counterfeits for wisdom, they begin to shout at me. And here's why they shout, because they're shiny. They look good. Follow after me. Listen to me. I deliver the goods. And, and wisdom counterfeits typically deliver the goods for a season. 
There's a, there's a verse in Hebrews 11 that says that uh, there's always pleasure in sin, and then there's a little line at the end that says, for a season. Well, worldly wisdom's like that. It always succeeds for a season, or people wouldn't go down that path. It's attractive for a season. But God's wisdom always has a big picture view. One of my favorite definitions for, for, uh, for wisdom is wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. It's not the only definition. But I like that definition. It's seeing life from God's perspective. Now, a few this about two weeks ago, I was kind of putting all this together. I had most of the guts put in. It's hard to talk about a sermon with guts, but I had most of the content put together. And uh, but but I began to think about this. Where, where's the first usage of the word wise or wisdom in the Bible? And I looked it up. You know where it is? It's when uh, Satan tempted Eve in Genesis chapter 3. This is fascinating. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's the first usage of it. Now, if you know the Bible, you know what happened, that she, she was attracted, but the Bible goes on and says, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband, and he did eat, and it catapulted the world into sin. But part of that package was this attraction of wisdom. Don't, don't underestimate what I'm preaching on this morning. But counterfeit wisdom always looks good. But once it captures you and you become its victim, then you can come back from it, but you're going to have some scars. And as parents, when we do this to our kids, they're going to have some scars. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge in a practical and skillful way. It's not getting a scholarship because you've got a 36 on your ACT or being a National Merit Finalist Scholarship. Those things aren't wrong. And you can be wise and have a high IQ, but being a high IQ is not having wisdom. Those are separate issues. Again, you can be intelligent from the world's perspective and not see life from God's point of view. Now listen carefully. Wisdom includes having a worldview that is based on eternal values. Now, here's the question. What is your source? This is a big question. What is your source for wisdom? I don't want to just jump in here. I'm trying to get you to think with me. What are your sources for wisdom? What are the wells from which you drink? Now, I'm going to answer the question for some of you. The news, Facebook, Fox News, educational institutions. What are your sources for wisdom? The highest form of flattery is imitation. And we mimic those that we admire 
And you need to be careful to make sure that they're going down a path where you want to go. Uh, frankly, even more accurately, that's biblically correct. And let me frame the question a, a little more frightening for some of you that are older. What are your children's sources for wisdom? What are your grandchildren's sources for wisdom? Because they have them. You know, when our grandkids come over, we, Paul and I try to influence them and to tell them Bible stories. And uh, Paul had just found a game. Uh, our, grand, our, our daughter-in-law, Ani, John's wife, she showed her a little uh, um, a video game or something. I don't know much about these things. But it's biblically based with Bible stories, and you can put it on uh, those things that kids use where you, you can get a Christian worldview, biblical worldview. And Paula was putting that on some of their devices and showing them and going through that with them even uh, last week and uh, reading them stories. And, and we, we do some other stuff with them too. Don't misunderstand. It's not like a seminary. I do that with Paula trying to help her. You understand the need. But what are, what's your source for wisdom? What wells do they drink from? The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world. The world there is not speaking about people. It's talking about a system without God, a philosophy without God. What do, what do your professors teach about creation? What do they teach about abortion? What do they teach about transgenderism? What does the world think about these things? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We're to love people, but we, we need to, what's your source? Not just getting your kid to get a good job where they make a lot of money. That's really vain, Ecclesiastes says. If any man love the world, again, not loving people, loves the system. It's shiny. It looks good. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, that means the Greek word is cosmos, cosmetic. It's all external. We um, this system without God. The lo- and here's what the world is composed of: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is the desire to do. Lust of the eye is the desire to have. The, lust, the pride of life is the desire to be. Lust of the flesh, I want to do that. So for most people, that's success. What do you want to do in life? Anything you want to do, you can do it. But we don't talk to our kids about the will of God. The lust of the eyes, what do you want to have? Where do you want to live? What do you want to drive? What do you want to wear? And that's success. The pride of life. What do you want to be? Don't you want to be known? Don't you want people to know your name? These are the things that are important to the world, and they're important to many Christian people. But the Bible says this is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the Bible says love not the world. I remember when I was in college, one of my Bible teachers had a message. It was called, The Love That God Hates. 
It was uh, loving the world. And here's why. The world passes away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth, look at this, and he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In all three of these areas, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, were there in the Garden of Eden. As Eve came and looked at that tree, the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh, the desire to do. I'm hungry. I'd like to taste that. It was pleasant to the eyes. I'd like to have that. That looks good. It's, it's attractive to my eyes. It was, would make one wise. I would like to be that. I would like to be wise. In all three of these categories, the world, the Bible calls Satan the god of this world. He's, he's a puppeteer. He's engineering this. Listen, God's wisdom doesn't give you more. But it will help you to be more. It will make you more godly. God's wisdom will make you humble. God's wisdom will give you character. It will make your name known in heaven. I remember in the year 2000, in January of 2000, we were um, where Dale Moody Built his college there where he was buried. I was there with some pastor friends. And uh, the reason I remember is in January of 2000 because he died in December of, of, of 1899. And so it was hundred, just over 100 years after he died. And uh, it was snow, probably a foot of snow on the ground. We went up on that little hill right behind his boyhood home. And his wife, her last name is Revell, R-E-V-E-L-L, who was a Christian publishing company for years. And these little small headstones about that tall. And when you look at those headstones, there's beautiful mountains there at Mount Hermon. That's what the college is called now. I remember we were trying to find where he was buried. He founded this place and nobody could tell us. We looked for 30 minutes. Have you ever heard of D.L. Moody? And these precious young people there, nobody could tell us. No, we, we don't know who he is. Finally, we came upon an older person in their 50s. And, and this was, you know, 20 years ago. So I was uh, in my 40s. And uh, they said, if you go to that house right over there, they can tell you. And right across the street from where Moody Live. There were caretakers of his home. You could go in there. They wouldn't let us go in. The husband didn't feel well. We begged him, hey, we were not going to touch anything. We, we're just here for the day. Well, my husband, he just can't. I said, all right, that's okay. But they're buried right behind the house. And on Moody's headstone, Dwight Lyman Moody, his birth date, 1830-something. Did you know that I have lived longer than Moody and Spurgeon? Virgin died when he was 57. I mean, I can't hold a candle to them, but I think about these men and what they accomplished and more important, what, who they were, the kind of men they were. But on his headstone, he had his, this is all it was. He had his name, his birth date, his date of death. And 1 John two seventeen. the world passes away, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. That's all that was on there. 
And standing in that foot of snow, my feet were getting cold. I, I just began to think about how profound his life was. But how simple his, his grave and his headstone were. And those words on his headstone. The world passes away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And it's the will of God for me and for you to be men and women of wisdom. And for us to, to cultivate wisdom in our life. Wisdom is an absolute vital commodity, but how do you acquire it? How do you develop it? Every person can cultivate wisdom if you meet God's conditions. And I want to give you one condition this morning. I'm going to give you a part of it, and Lord willing, finish next week. And listen carefully. I'm going to mention it, and you're going to say, is that it? But you stay with me. To become a person of wisdom, are you ready? Now, you're going to be disappointed, so I'm just To become a person of wisdom, you must have a daily, meaningful time alone with God. Now, I told you you were, because if you've been in our church for any time at all, you've heard me say that, especially if you've been here for several decades, you've heard me say that thousands of times. To have a daily, meaningful time alone with God. And that's the thesis I'm going to prove it to you. People that are wise have a daily, meaningful time alone with the Lord. Now, I chose those words carefully and intentionally. I could say that wisdom is found in the Word of God, and it is, but listen carefully. Some people know the Bible. They know its stories. They read the Bible, but they don't have wisdom. Listen. They open the Bible, they read the Bible, they come to church, but they, listen, they do not have, listen, they do not have a daily, meaningful time alone with God. They have devotions, but they do not have a daily, meaningful time alone with God. I'm not trying to be legalistic in the way I'm saying this, but the words are important. They read their Bible, but they do not have a daily, meaningful time alone with the Lord. Because that's where the wisdom comes from. Now, I ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Look at verse 5. In Proverbs chapter 4, notice in verse 5. Now, here, we're going to look at the context in a minute, but I just want to pull this verse out real quick. Proverbs 4, 5. This is a father talking to his son. This is David, I'm sorry, Solomon, talking to his son Rehoboam. But he talks about his son, or his father, David, in a moment. But notice what Solomon says to his son Rehoboam. He says, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words, look at this, from the words of my mouth. From the words of my mouth. Now, earlier in the passage, we're going to look at a few verses below that, he talks about, Good doctrine. He said, son, I've given you good doctrine. Now that good doctrine was good teaching, but the teaching was based on the word of God. He said, boy, Rehoboam, my daddy David schooled me in the scriptures. Now knowing that, he says, son, get wisdom, get understanding. 
Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. You want wisdom? You want understanding? Here are the words of my mouth, son, and the words of my mouth include doctrine. They include teaching. My daddy schooled me in the wisdom of the word of God. Now I want you to notice every word in the Bible is important. Notice the word decline there. The word decline means to bend or turn away from. It's used when they established the tent and they would take the cord and they would stretch the cord out from a stationary point. And here's the idea. It means do, do not distance yourself from God's words. Do, do not detach yourself. Do not pull away from God's words. On, on the contrary, stay close to God's words. That's what he's saying. In other words, let me put it this way. Watch he said, no Bible, no breakfast. Perhaps the father saying this, no Bible, no wisdom. No Bible, no wisdom. And I'm, I'm going to prove this to you. No time alone with God, no wisdom. It's not just no going to church, no wisdom. It's not just no reading the Bible, no wisdom. Because these things are different. This is a little more intentional. This is more, more purposeful. Now go back to verse 1, Proverbs 4.1, and notice what the Bible says here. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. Notice here, he asks his son to hear and to attend, and the father's instructing. For I give you good doctrine, you see that? Forsake ye not my law. You hear hear the pleading here, the pleading voice. Listen, son. And here he speaks about his father, David. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me. You see this, dads, grandmas, grandpas? My daddy taught me. He taught me also. And said, I have this underlined, he said unto me, not the youth pastor, not the pastor, my daddy. He said unto me, let thine heart retain my words. And again, these words were good doctrine. They were based on on established words of scripture. Keep my commandments and live. And here's the words that we just looked at. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. I wrote four quick observations there. Number one, that parents are to teach children God's word. We got to do it. We got to do it. You need to have a plan. You need to be faithful to it. I'm not going to tell you how, but just you got to do it. Number two, children have a responsibility to listen. He says there in the passage, to hear and to attend. You know, uh, Proverbs 22, 6 says, To train up a child and the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. Two things about that text. First of all, it doesn't say train up your children. There's not one method. It says train up your a child. Each child is different. 
It means there is a general training, but there's specific training. They have specific needs, they have specific personalities. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's older, not depart from them. Now, that is based upon a principle. Principles, because of human nature, can be violated. I'm thinking of a preacher. I'll not not mention his name because I love him. He's preached here. He's a good man. He's a very good man. But he said, that's a promise from God. And he says, well, take Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 there. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 very implicitly tell us, I'll look it up right here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Is that a promise? Well, yeah, it is. But it's, it's different when God is in the equation. See, God doesn't have any sinful blood in him. I can trust him implicitly. But the other part about Proverbs 22 is this. Is all through the Bible, God gives, and especially in the book of Proverbs, God gives responsibilities to the children to listen. Now, early on, it's up to us to get our kids to listen. But my son, attend. My son, why would God, it's not just, Proverbs 22, 6 is the truth, but it's not the full truth. It's all true, but it's not the full. The other truth is that your kids have to listen. Will I be held accountable as a pastor of this church for your disobedience? Well, of course not. Of course not. I'm faithful to be true and to do my part and to grieve when you do wrong. Parents are to teach your children. Children have responsibility to actively listen. And then number three, the Bible is the foundation of building wisdom in your heart. That's what it says in Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5 there, or Proverbs 4 and verse 5 there. Excuse me, my mouth is a little dry this morning. Build your home on the Word of God. And let me go through this quickly. This expression, meaningful time alone with God. First of all, it's to be a meaningful time. A meaningful time. It's not a time when you just go through the motions. It's not something that you are legalistic about. It's not, it must be something that, that feeds your soul. It's something, you see, there are certain components in this time that make it meaningful. Here's what it means. It means that, that maybe what works for me isn't going to work for you. Now, the Bible is always a part of it. Prayer is always a part of it. But it's got to be meaningful. Some of you, for this coming year, need to make changes for your time with the Lord because it's stale. You've just been checking off stuff. Well, I read five, five uh, chapters a day. I'd rather for you to read five words and get something out of it than if you read five chapters a day and just mark it off and say you read through the Bible in a year. I mean that with all of my heart. Someone said, and I agree with them, it's not how many times you've been through the Bible, it's how many times the Bible's been through you. It must be meaningful. When you walk away from it, did you take something? Somebody asked the great preacher one time, Tom Malone, they said, Tom, how much do you read the Bible? He said, I read it till my heart burns. I sure do like that. I read it till my heart burns. 
Can I put it this way? I read it until it's meaningful to me. It's meaningful. Secondly, it's, it's to be a time alone. It's not hurried. It, it's not competing. And some of you have young children. Some of you have two jobs. And, and I understand, okay? But it's not to be competing with, with the television and, and with hobbies and other things in your environment. It, it ought to be valued. You know, when you love someone... You enjoy the time with them. You enjoy focusing on them. And part of the reason that it's time alone is but you love the Lord. It's not so, oh, I've got to have this time, so I need to, to do this because I'm a good Christian. No. It's a meaningful time alone. Now, remember, what are we talking We're talking about cultivating wisdom. This is a byproduct. Wisdom is a byproduct. Meaningful time alone. If you need to get up 15 minutes early or 30 minutes early, do what you need to do. Stay up late. Some of you are night people. And you've heard preachers all your life, well, you need to get up early in the morning. You know what I always tell people? And most of them say, well, I never thought about that before. book of Genesis says the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening in the morning. They said, well, I, I go to sleep at night. Well, I go to sleep in the morning. Most of, my, most of my time with God's done at night. Now, I do some reading in the morning. But I'm not going to fuss at you if you do it in the morning. Don't fuss at me because I do mine at the night. I have better dreams. Whenever you do it, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Just make sure it's time alone when it's quiet. Maybe it's quieter for you at night. And then it's a meaningful time alone with God, with God. During this time, make sure that when you read the Bible, God talks to you. And when you pray, you talk to God. Now, let me explain what I mean there. It's okay during that time to have a prayer list, okay? But what I'm talking about now is not a prayer list. Okay, have a prayer list. When I read the Bible, I'm talking, God is talking to me, but when I pray, I talk to God. Okay? So I'm reading Proverbs 4. I'm going to read it out loud, but I don't read it out loud when I read the Bible. Sometimes, but not very often. But I'm going to read it out loud for you. So I'm reading the Bible. Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father. That's just the first half, verse 1. I stop. Because my heart starts burning. Instruction of a father. The Holy Spirit who authored the scripture interprets the scripture. And he he teaches, he begins to speak to me. Uh, What have you taught your children? If my kids are younger, he may convict me. You haven't spent any time, you haven't been teaching them. What are you teaching? What are you instructing your kids? Now, all of my kids are older now. Aubrey's finishing up school. Some of your kids need to be encouraged. And he may bring two or three kids to my mind. And I'll think about them. And I write some things down. I may just put my Bible and I just may pray. Oh, God. I pray for I'm, I'm 15, 20 minutes into my time with the Lord, and I've read 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight verse, eight words, eight words. And out of that comes obedience. Out of that comes transformation. Out of that comes impact with other people. Now, I don't mean this in a mean way, but some of you take that 20 minutes and you've read through your five chapters and you've checked it off. You got up and I would ask you later in the day, how was your time with the Lord? Oh, it was good. What did you read? Well, I, I, I'd have to go look. You had to go look. It didn't make it. It didn't do anything. It had no impact. Because it wasn't, with, it wasn't meaningful. Got a meaningful time along with God. Now, keep your place there in Proverbs. I may come back there and turn to Mark chapter 1. I want you to look there with me. Mark chapter 1. This is the best pattern of a time alone with God in the Bible. Mark chapter 1. And look at verse 29. Mark 1, 29. And forthwith... When they were come out of the synagogue, this is in Capernaum. I've been to the synagogue. Now, it's, there's nothing on top of it, but the foundation is there. They entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, and to the ruins there. I've been there where they think those ruins were, and in all likelihood it was the house of Simon and Andrew's brother. With James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon, old English word, which means immediately they tell him of her. Now I want you to notice there in verse 30 that Simon, that Simon Peter, had a mother-in-law. That means he was married. And some say that, well, uh, Peter was the first pope, so he wasn't married. Well, the Bible here says that he had a, he had a mother-in-law, Simon's wife's mother. And one preacher, I didn't say this, I'm just quoting him. But he said, any, any man that had, would have a mother-in-law without a wife is a fool. So, now, I didn't say that. I'm quoting somebody else that said it. And Tim is laughing. It is funny, isn't it? But she was sick. She lay sick of a fever. And anon, they tell him of her. They're coming to Jesus. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. And at even, at an evening, now look up here. Back then, they didn't have electricity. This is when they go to bed. Oh, they used some lamps and candles, but not very often. They got up when the sun came up, and they went to bed when the sun went down. And at even, or evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto Jesus all, I have this underlined, all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. All. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been around a lot of sick people, of all kinds of sick people? Have you ever been around a whole lot of demon-possessed people? I'd imagine not. Now I want you to get, I want you to stop and picture this environment in your mind. This was a this was a scene of spiritual warfare, a scene of chaotic confusion, and they're demanding to see Jesus. And and on his body in time clock, it's evening. To to your way of thinking, it's it's twelve one two in the morning. He'd been up all day. 
And all the city, I have that underlined, all that were diseased, and all the city was gathered together at the door. Not just everybody that was sick and diseased, not all the demon-possessed people, but now all the population of Capernaum, they're there to see what's going to happen. The noise. And he healed many that were sick of divers or diverse diseases, and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And let me tell you what I know. Some of you know this too. That he was exhausted. Number one, he was human. Number two, in the gospel of Luke and, and other gospels too, a lady touched him in a crowd one day and she was healed. She touched the hem of his garment. She was healed. And Jesus knew virtue left him. Power, energy left him. He said, who touched me? She didn't touch him physically. She touched his garment. But by virtue of the miraculous power, he lost something. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't mean it wrong because I want to talk to you after church. But after I preach, I'm exhausted. And I'm not Jesus. But I'm I'm not making a speech up here. When I come up here, I'm delivering, as a prophet said, a burden. I'm not just having a big idea. I'm trying to I'm trying to carry you across the goal line. There, there's something I want you to see. There's something I want you to. This is life and death. So when I finish, it's not just okay. Well, what's next? In fact, Paul and I made a deal decades ago. You pick where we're going at eat after church. I can't think. I don't care where we go. You you pick it out. I can't. I, I can't think. I'll do good to talk to people. I want to talk to you. So don't think I don't want to talk. I don't. But sometimes I might sit down and so forth. So I say all that. Say this. He's exhausted. He's weary. He's fatigued. Notice in verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day. Now, wait, wait. The whole city was there. The demoniacs, everybody, they were there. How long were they there? Well, we don't know. They were there to the wee hours. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Let me make some observations. Number one, Jesus was busy. Number two, ministry taps your energy. Spiritual warfare, just serving. Number three, Jesus ministered to the crowd until late in the evening, at evening when the sun had set. Number four, Jesus was physically and spiritually spent. Number five, Jesus made spending time with his father a priority. I would encourage you to memorize Mark one thirty-five. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out into a solitary place and there prayed. That verse changed my life. It was a priority to him. Number six, his closest associates didn't understand his need to be refueled. You know what they did? Look at verse 36. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. 
And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Jesus, we have some more. We have some more that need to be healed. We have some more. The people that were the closest to him didn't understand his need to be refueled. Now listen to me, listen. The better you are at something, the less people are going to understand your need to be alone. Because they're going to think that you you just do that well anyway. Now, my wife understands this, and my kids do to some extent. You don't just stand in the pulpit and preach a sermon. It's like an iceberg. You see the, you see the top of it. This is the top of it. But underneath, there's isolation. There's reading. There's research. There's meditation. There's quiet. If you don't have a whole lot of isolation, you don't have much at the top. If you don't turn the phone off, if you don't say no, I don't go out much on Saturdays. It's not because I'm trying to be ugly. Sometimes I get tickled that after after church, someone will come, and I'll be just beat, tired, and they'll come, Brother Rick, and I see him over the shoulder. I say, oh, no. And I see somebody back there, and they got a homeless person with them. And they're so proud because they brought this home for me to spend some time with, and they don't, I've just, I've just preached my heart out. I, I'm, I'm tired. I, I can't, okay. And I'm not mad. But sometimes that's going to be true in your life. I'm going to talk about me now. I'm going to illustrate for my life. That's going to be true in your life. Your family's not going to understand. Your bosses aren't going to understand your need. Listen to me, your need to be refueled. God's wisdom comes from your time alone with Him. You see this in the life of Moses in Psalm 103 and verse 7. God made known His ways unto Moses, His acts, His actions unto the children of Israel. Israel just wanted the fruit. Moses knew the root. Now, why did Moses know the root? Because Moses spent time with God. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 10, There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses wasn't studying, and and the Bible says he wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Moses wasn't walking with God so he could be a scholar to have all the answers. Moses was walking with God to know God. He knew him face to face. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 9. It came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle that the cloudy pillar, this is where the presence of God was, descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. Look at this. And the Lord talked with Moses. Nobody else but Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. I'm going to stop there because our time is gone. 
But if if you want if you want wisdom, if you want wisdom, God wrote one book, and He is a source of wisdom. And His wisdom, one place, is downloaded in this book, and it's discovered through a daily time alone with Him. Read the Bible, and let God speak to you, and then you pray. And you talk to God. And just every day. Have a daily time alone with the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen if you will do this on a daily basis. And start this week. If you stop, start. Maybe it needs rebooting. Maybe you just need, I hate to use the word creativity, but you need to change some things. The time of day, maybe you're stuck. Next week, I'm going to give you some, some real practical suggestions, real practical stuff. Today, I just want to challenge you a little bit. Um, I don't know what you need to do. But all of us need to cultivate wisdom. I need, I need more wisdom. Listen, my life is more complicated than it's ever been before. And I need the wisdom of God in my life. And there are more places to get it than, than in the Bible, but it starts here. And, and I, need, I need the Word of God. I need the mind of God. I need the thoughts of God. I don't need the world dictating to me what success is and which ways to go. I need God's ways. I want you to pray with me. Would you pray with me this morning? While you sit there, would you just uh, talk to God about where you are with your daily time on the Lord? I'll tell you this, that the, the strength of our church, and in some ways the future of our church is hinged upon what I preached this morning. The health of our church. A daily, meaningful time alone with the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, as we uh, depart today, I pray that we would take something with us. I pray that we would take a conviction that you are the source of wisdom and that you wrote this precious book we hold on our lap, the Word of God, Oh, Father, forgive us for neglecting it. Forgive us for hurrying through it. For being so impatient, loving our phones and television, video games, and sleep more than the Word of God. Lord, help us not to learn it so we can debate it and know know more about theology. Help us to learn it so we can know your heart and know you and and get to know wisdom. As Moses heard you, heard from you, and Lord, he got to know you face to face. And because of that, he knew the ways of God while those around him only saw his acts. I pray that you would raise up men and women And young people that are here today, 
that would be people that know your ways. They know the foundation. They know the root system, not just things on the surface. I pray for my precious friends here that you would help us to be like the iceberg, people that have are willing to, to live beneath the water, so as to say, where nobody can see sometimes, in quiet times, meditating and thinking and writing our thoughts and loving you and praying and reading. Oh God, help us to cultivate our wisdom. We need you. I pray for someone here this morning that is in desperate need of a word from you. They need your wisdom. I pray that they would not be hasty, but they would take time with the Father. And that you would speak to them and with them. Thank you so much for your word. And how simple and practical it is. Help us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.